passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello from Detroit. By way of Dearborn, I am John Pollock alongside who else but Wei Ting. And at 2.20 in the morning, we are just bursting with energy. And we said, you know what? Sleep is for suckers because we have a SummerSlam show to review that we attended uh, hours and hours ago. And this show went hours and hours. Um, Maybe a record for an eight-match card for the length that it went. Uh, But here we are to chat about all of our adventures uh, over to Ford Field, and Way, how are you? Doing okay, considering how uh, how long of a day it's been. It is a uh, yeah. Two, cur- currently two twenty. We like literally just um, drove back into our into Dearborn from the press conference. Well, John went to the press conference. Um, traffic was really crazy getting out. Were you driving around or were you just stationary? During I was that? stationary. Like, so traffic was pretty awful going in anyway. And for that reason, I parked like, I would say like a 15 minute walk out. Um, Cause it was cheaper too. Cause it was like, it was 60 bucks, like, you know, right next to the building. And then I parked a bit further out at, at about $20. Um, but still like it, it, it was crazy getting out. So the, the, the press conference ended up helping out to be honest with you. Okay. Well, I'm glad that was the case uh, for you. It was, it was a wild um, scene. This completely had like a a WrestleMania level of just craziness that comes with a big stadium level event. And uh, I was, I was in the city pretty much all day long and it was just, of course, we're right next to Ford field. So it was just um, all I can imagine is that, the the economy of Detroit is completely supported by pro wrestling T-shirts this weekend. Mm-hmm. Well, just even out in Dearborn at our hotel, I feel like it's all wrestling fans here. So um, it does feel like it's a WrestleMania level sort of like uh, atmosphere in the city. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What did you think of Ford Field, the location? Um, the location or like the building, itself? the building, the stadium, I thought it was nice. I mean, to be quite honest, they all kind of start looking the same after a while, you know, um, it, it, it was big, you know, and the inside, the corridors are, are pretty similar. Why? Would you I choose? was just curious. Your thoughts on, I, I have no complaints. No, it, it felt nicely run. Yeah. Did yeah. You, did you have anything? Anything? It, it w- um it's a stadium it did not have a whole lot of a personality to me it yeah. kind of was a big box that's what it felt like i was in um yeah not anything too negative to say about it but it's uh i'll tell you it's no comerica park yes because ambitious as you are you actually decided to sit out in the sun for a baseball game before your long day at, at, at SummerSlam. listen as soon as i realized the tigers were in town to play I realized 
like, yes, this is going to be a daunting task to do on Saturday when there was going to be a very late night slash early morning, as we attest to at two 30 in the morning, but I would have been kicking myself if I did not go. So I uh, ventured out way, way was not going to take the plunge on this, which was fine. We got to, uh, we, we, we separated on Saturday and I had, this is my quick story. Okay. So dude, it is, it is hot as hell outside. Like it was really damn hot today mm-hmm. and I'm going out. And so I, I'm not kidding. I was probably one of six people that I saw at this park wearing pants. I was one of the <laughs> few that had pants on. And on the way there, I'm in my Uber and I grab a coffee at the front desk here and we're going in the Uber and I look down and I've spilt coffee all over my white shirt. And I just look like a slob. I just look like a total slob. And this Uber, they have like these wipes in the back. So it's like, I'm like furiously trying to clean my shirt. These coffee stains are not coming out. And I just like, I, I can't look like this. It just looks terrible. So I get to, I get to the stadium. I, bu- I buy a sweet ticket last minute. You want to go, you grab a single ticket right as the game's about to start. I got a sixth row seat in between these like giant groups. They were never going to sell this. Uh, it was like 60 bucks for a six row ticket. It's like, I pay more for these for the Jays game last week in the 500. So it was like tremendous. So I go in and I go and I buy the first Tigers shirt I see. So dude, in the just scorching heat, I'm in my jeans and I'm wearing two t-shirts for this entire game. And, uh, but dude, I had the best time at this game. It was so much fun. This park was amazing. It was, um, I, I do like the renovated uh, Rogers Center that they have made the changes to that I got to see last weekend. But this park is another level. Like they had all these historical monuments and little exhibits of the Tigers of over, you know, 120 years. And so I, I sat in my sixth row seat for like the first six, seven innings. And then I wandered around the stadium. And then I watched the, the remainder of the game way up in the bleachers where it was uh, much more... I don't like sitting around people. I'm squeezed in there. So uh, I, I got to uh, do the WH park and go uh, up there. And uh, that's insane. Like, as I was passing through, I heard like, cause, um, cause the baseball game ended like, a, like, what would you say? Like two four, hours, about four, like two, two, three hours before, before, um, uh, SummerSlam and people passing me were like, wow. Imagine if somebody went to the Tigers game and then went to SummerSlam. Like as if like to say like how ridiculous of an idea it was and you know this guy buddy it's ambitious. it's the press conference that's that's the real oh, uh, that that's, that really tests that your limit the, okay uh, trifecta isn't it yeah but I listen I had so much fun at that Tigers game like Good. I've never gone to a I've never gone to a a, a sporting event uh, other than like wrestling uh, by myself and it was uh, like by the third inning dude I just I put my music on to like watch the game didn't have yeah. to engage in like. Uh, you know, I just got to chill out. It okay. was like it was like uh, you went to a movie by yourself. It was recently. mental relaxation. That's what it was. You went to go see uh, the Barbie movie by yourself recently, and then now you're you know watching baseball by yourself. And what what did you get up set. to? Wait, how was the pool? I had a beautiful swim at the hotel pool, and then um after that I just you know set up here and uh, I, I visited actually um Third Man Records, which is a uh, Jack White's um little uh sort of a, a vinyl production studio slash like gift shop. So. Um, didn't have a, a ton of free time, but you know, did that in town and then just kind of walked my way through, bought something, you know, a little bit of a souvenir for, uh, for the spouse. So yeah, 
had All a good, right. had a nice little free free afternoon. I've, I I enjoyed Detroit today. Yesterday was mm-hmm. more so we were just arriving and then going straight out to uh, to Harpo's and such. But today I feel like I I got to after the game I had a bunch of time to kill, so I just checked out. You caught city, a nice bit of sun, wandered oh, around. Oh yeah, you can see me, dude. Oh, I'm yeah. like uh, uh, your ears specifically. Well, you know what? You gotta you gotta sacrifice. I, mm-hmm. I had my hat and that was it. I was out in the sun. Yeah. No uh, no SummerSlam, right? Uh, that was it. That was mm-hmm. it. All right, let's get into the show because there's a lot to uh, break down here. So we had, um, first of all, the the attendance that they listed, the number was somewhere around 59,000. The last update from WrestleTix was uh, just after 7 p.m., 51,292 distributed. So uh, we can refer to uh, upcoming uh, poll star data and eventually the key performance indicators in the third quarter. So Mm -hmm. there you you can, uh, and you can judge that against the 59,000 number. Regardless, um, they moved a lot of tickets in this last week that got them, you know, from 44, 45 and sending them over 51. And I'm certain in that last hour in the lead up to SummerSlam, they probably moved some last minute tickets as well. Mm -hmm. There was a ton of buzz in the city for this show. And granted, I was in the downtown core where it was just nonstop, wrestling fans and they also had this street festival going on for SummerSlam. so you had the SummerSlam store and then you had this like this whole block um just cordoned off and it had like you could go through these exhibits where they had like the dx tank and uh undertaker's hearse and all this stuff and just all these little kiosks with like wwe licensees uh attached to it so it was much more than you get for uh, just a typical non WrestleMania uh, event. So it was, they really did uh, just take over this section and you between the Tigers game, getting out and all the wrestling fans congregating so early, like dude, by five thirty PM, this area was swarmed yeah. with people. And the first match wasn't until 8 PM. Yeah. These were people that were just so hungry to get in and buy as much merchandise as they could possibly fit. And it, mm-hmm. I'm sure they did a killer on on merch at this show because they had hours before the show started to just spend. Yeah, yeah, and um, I I saw throughout at least the downtown core a lot of people buying the um, I guess Detroit specific merchandise too. They had like that's a, really smart. They've been doing that in all the cities. That's very it's, smart. It's, it's smart, and it's almost like I'm almost flabbergasted at how easy it is because they are the most low effort like t-shirts you could imagine like instead of like you know nwo detroit brock city uh that's actually even a bit more clever like like more often it's like you know um blank like you know they they had motor city 316 the dw (laughs) the detroit world order dwo it's like shit that i'm i'm almost like i'd be embarrassed to have come up with if if like that you're marketing but that's what people want people just want like the simplest thing you know with their own city's name on it that they can only get here so if we have learned one thing this weekend it's that i'm not going to shake my head at any merchandise choices wwe makes where i often would ask the question who would buy this the answer is lots okay maybe not every shirt is going to be your biggest seller but dude there is a group of people out there they will buy the craziest shirts that you just would not imagine you could absolutely if it's on sale somebody's gonna buy it yes so we had this was also another event that i mean they had a ton of sponsors they said this was their largest um sponsorship uh revenue for a 
uh, SummerSlam, and they had Slim Jim, which they had promoted their biggest sponsorship deal ever. And then you had a Rocket Mortgage, C4 Energy, Mike's Harder Lemonade, a returning champion, and of course, DraftKings among the big sponsors on this show. Not Prime, although Prime did get some real estate on this show, maybe unintentionally. Um, so Byron Saxon and Titus O'Neil, they kicked off the, the, the kickoff was nothing but the panel and Byron Saxton and Titus O'Neil going over the charity work done in the city this week. And that takes us into the opening video voiced by Detroit royalty kid rock. Mm-hmm. As we hear the, um, the revolutionary sounds of Ba with a Ba in 2023. And I, I couldn't fully hear this video package, but Kid Rock starts referencing and we get highlights of the first SummerSlam from 1988. It's like, okay, we're going back to the first one. And then he just randomly starts referring to the 1995 one in Pittsburgh and 2013. I I believe the gist of the video package, again, it was a bit hard to hear just like from our vantage point with the sound system and the live setting. But I believe it was something to the effect of like to to know where you're going, you have to know where you came from. And I guess it was just like running through a brief cities. Well, a history of SummerSlam. Yeah, yeah. I was just wondering why it was like 95 of all years. I mean, I thought uh, the biggest one in memory, especially if you're going to go into the past, would have been Wembley, right? And I well, I was thinking 93, they were in Auburn Hills, Michigan. Like, that was the last time SummerSlam was in Michigan. But these right. were, like, just random summer. Like, they're all essentially random, I guess, yeah. if you're just going to isolate three out of uh, – other than the first, they had these two. But anyway, and then we got into the current card. But, yeah, that was the gist of the video. You need to know where you've been. Good video, like, as always, you know. And, and anytime you get, you know, I guess a, a local celebrity um, and Kid Rock is somebody that's been long associated with them, it, it makes it makes a lot of sense. The show had to start off with Logan Paul and Ricochet because Logan Paul had a, had a busier night than than we did. Uh, he was going to be finishing this match and then getting on a jet and going to Dallas where he, in fact, made it for his brother Jake Paul's fight. And mm-hmm. we'll, we'll talk about that later. Um, but they came out and this was not as though they were just going to race through this match to get Logan out of there. They went 18 minutes to start the show, tons of heat for Logan Paul uh, throughout this match. And his heel mannerisms are just, he's tremendous in this role. And also subtle incorporations of Samantha Irvin, who they were going to reaction shots as Ricochet was being beaten down. And at one point hit with a neck breaker onto the edge of the apron. We saw Ricochet uh, bring out his, people's moonsault that i don't think we've ever seen him do in wwe uh but used to be a a staple of his paul some of his big moves included uh a spanish fly off the apron to the floor and they didn't stick the landing where there were uh, ricochet slipped and they were supposed to land on their feet and that was going to be one of the uh, you know Mm -hmm. big shocking moments also a reference to the the rumble or sorry the uh the money in the bank without a table this time and then paul hits a buckshot lariat but it's from the ring to the floor which this guy could have blown out his knee trying this um and kind of playing planted his legs before hitting it and then a fan uh conveniently has a bottle of prime that he grabs and just starts drinking uh there on screen mm-hmm. um and this is it was worth noting like we were bringing up the fact that, that this c4 energy is sponsoring them and they've got like these wwe themed energy drinks that you essentially are i mean prime would be a competitor of this energy yeah. drink it would be a bit of a conflict of interest. I'm sure, you know, C4 wasn't happy about it, but um, 
I wonder if like Logan Paul has his own special deal, you know, well, I mean that he gets to get one of these spots per, per match, perhaps. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure they, I'm sure they had to clear something. Can't get that exclusive. Yeah. Uh, Ricochet then hit a reverse neck breaker off of the top and there's a backflip off of the turnbuckle and Ricochet catches him, turned, uh, Paul uh, catches him and turns into a tornado DDT for a big near fall. We see Ricochet come back with the recoil and goes for the shooting star press, lands on the knees, and Paul cradles him for a two count. Paul hit a very impressive springboard frog splash. Crowd was very hot at this point. There's a Benadriller from Ricochet, rolling DVD, and then a moonsault off the turnbuckle for a two count. Misses with the 630. And then this mysterious figure slides the brass knuckles onto Logan Paul mm-hmm. when the referee's back is turned, and he waffles Ricochet with the brass knucks and pins him in 18 minutes. And then Logan Paul is taunting samantha urban and played a fantastic heel and i guess we have this mystery of who this person was that assisted logan paul i mean i'm i'm assuming it was some somebody from his crew right like that's what i, I thought but the, unless did, they, did the internet know did you look that up i looked and I, I i didn't see much but i was having terrible internet problems, chat room so uh, thank, thank you everybody watching us live at this late hour if you guys know who that person was let us know um I thought it was a very good match, you know. Um, was it the most viral match of all time? I, I mean, I, I don't know what they were going for. There was some really impressive metric. stuff in this match, but I almost felt putting that label on it. Like, I don't know if we had that one big defining moment. Like they didn't have their Royal Rumble. Spot, I was expecting I mean? like the like something similar to the Roman spot, with with like the selfie camera, something that would create a clip that would actually go by they didn't even use a phone like i don't i don't recall anything of the sort you know like that maybe logan paul is going to play the finish as like the most viral moment where he knocks out ricochet and yeah i guess so it could be could could just be a a storyline line yeah sure i thought it was a very good match um i think of the sort that you would have expected from these two you know you have maybe the best high flyer right now in the company company in a ricochet and somebody in a logan paul who is really a celebrity who could do a lot of that incredibly athletic stuff. And um, I thought Ricochet brought him to, I think, a very, you know, good match. Was there anything about the match itself at this point, like in Logan's career, that I think, like, shocked me? Not necessarily. It was just, like, it was very impressive. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily say it had, like, as big of an impact as maybe, like, some of the prior Logan Paul matches. But still, it was, um, I think, like, especially for the length, consistently. In it was 18 engage- minutes, and engaging. it was, like, a lot of his, like, in-between stuff. It's, like, he like he looked very impressive to me. Like, this was a very spectacular match. It was, um, you know, I... I, I would put this higher on the card in terms of how it performed. It was it was not my match of the show, but it was a really strong opener and longer than I thought it would be going 18. Mm-hmm. So Logan Paul uh, did get on the jet and then headed to Dallas at the American Airlines Center uh, where Jake Paul uh, won his fight by decision against Nate Diaz. We obviously have not seen the fight, but it sounded like Nate Diaz um, put up like a had, a had a good accounting of himself in his first boxing fight. But uh, Jake Paul did did win by unanimous decision and logan paul was there they had the video of him the gimmick he did was he didn't change out of his ring gear from the match with ricochet so you got to have him i guess he came out in the ring gear uh, in two separate arenas uh, across the country from each other it actually is very impressive and i I, i'd love to know honestly that's kind of the most viral uh, moment that he pulled that off yeah we had the flight tracker as well to see if he was going to make it that's it yeah that's right so um yeah, hooray for jets i guess um 
Yeah, no, he did. He did really well. Seamus pulled up in a monster truck, giving us all memories of uh, the last time there was a monster truck duel on a wrestling mm-hmm. pay-per-view in Detroit. And uh, no one no one fell off Cobo Hall in this uh, version. And the second match on the show, Cody Rhodes against Brock Lesnar. Uh, what do you think about the placing of this match in this spot? I did not mind it whatsoever. I I think overall the card was structured like well. Um, I, you know, I'm starting off with like, even if Logan Paul didn't have to fly over, you know, to Texas to go to, um, his brother's match, I think starting off with like the high flying celebrity match is a good idea to follow that up with not, you know, a title match, but a match that I think has a equal amount of, um, interest as almost as a, as a title match, I thought was a really good way to like get people really situated in, in to the show, um, in fact, I would say between this and the match following this, th- these were, to me, the loudest the crowd were all evening. This was, I-, I thought, a really, really well put together match. This was a total like storytelling type of match. And we begin where immediately Brock hits him with a German suplex and Cody comes back with the disaster kick. And they're starting at the like the usual fast paced Brock match. Mm-hmm. And they're pacing this like you're expecting this to go under 10 minutes. And mm-hmm. they went much longer than that. So. As, as this would escalate, you saw Cody um, start to get thrown, um, and Brock is just smiling as he's having his way, tossing him around, and then deadlifts him from the mat into a German, continues it with another, and then Cody starts being knocked to the floor, and Brock is willing to just take the count-out win, and it would just be this continual struggle of Cody to not stay down and get back to his feet further frustrating Brock each time he would get up and get back into the ring. So the violence would escalate from just getting tossed off the apron, clothesline to the floor to suddenly he ups it to an F5 on the floor and Cody gets back in at nine, then an F5 onto the desk again. He's in at nine. And this felt like it was an influence of that Lesnar Cena match that I think is one of the more um, remembered matches. Like here was Brock taking all of this and it was like just Cody, you mean Brock taking like the taking offense the offense, of the match. Right. Okay. And so eventually Brock goes back down to the floor and he takes the stairs away from Cody. And then Cody pops off the shoulders and he sends Brock into the post and hits him with the stairs, hits him with a disaster kick in the ring and a Cody cutter. And at this point, this audience is so behind him because they have watched him sell and sell and sell. But the comeback, the, audience was all behind him and Brock locks on the Kimura and Cody selling was great here. He finally gets to the rope and Lesnar gets shoved into an exposed buckle with his arm and Cody applies the Kimura and dude, Brock was excellent selling this. Like he had the faces going red and he is so close to tapping at one point, he puts his hand down, but then lifts up Cody, slams him free, but the arm is damaged, and he goes for one last F5, which gets countered into three consecutive crossroads, and Cody wins in 17 minutes and 30 seconds. I thought this one was excellent. I thought this and another match were my toss-up for match of the night, but I thought mm-hmm. this was terrific, easily the best of their three, and I thought this was one of Brock's better singles matches in a long time. And, and you're right, the crowd was... Um, super loud for this one yeah yeah i thought it was a really great expect uh exhibition of like pacing here um i felt this was a real awesome match to you know study because you get to see with every 
instance of any sort of physical effort, how these guys were able to maximize every single reaction. And I thought they came up with a really, really brilliant way of like extending a Brock match, Um, you know, taking your usual Brock Lesnar, heavily aggressive, physically taxing formula, but again, like drawing it out. And at the same time, not like just spending time, but increasing the crowd's energy by telling a story of, you know, Cody's relentless sort of like will to, you know, give up and getting stronger and stronger every time. And then Brock coming back and, you know, hitting a bigger move every single time. Um, I've never really kind of seen somebody like make the use of like, you know, count out teases, maybe this effectively in the WWE. It's something I, I we're used to in new Japan, but in the WWE, I thought um, this was really well done. Um, much of it was like spent teasing these count outs. And um, again, you know, in terms of just like physical activity, I think, you know, Cody probably um, took a lot of damage. Sure. But I think we've seen Brock matches where like his opponents have taken a lot more and they have not, you know, captivated the crowd to, to this duration. So um, they were really also good at like, conveying narratives to the crowd throughout you know you start the match off by asking the crowd can cody survive these count outs and then you ask can cody survive the kimura when brock introduces it and then the story becomes can brock Lesnar survive the kimura because of the injured shoulder story that they were telling so um reactions in my section were really loud for this one we had adults screaming at the top of their lungs for we should explain cody. where we we where we were because i was in the press box and you went out to sit in in the crowd Yes. Yes. I did the, uh, yeah, I did the, the, I just found, you know, sort of like empty seats somewhere and I just sat and, um, I sat in front of some very loud people. Um, so how, how were, how were Brandon Davey holding up at this point? I don't know. I didn't see them, but, uh, I'm sure some other people did. So after the match, they go nose to nose and Brock extends his hand, shaking hands with Cody. And then a hug is, is exchanged between the two and Brock gives Cody the big endorsement to the crowd. And then Cody hugs his mom who is in the front row and, uh, and makes his way to the back. A very, um, you know, it, it felt here like a kind of end for Brock end mm-hmm. for this program and probably another Brock departure. Like this is something that the Brock character, um, they don't put out and do this kind of post-match deal. So, uh, so didn't Levesque say that, this was in, um, unplanned from Lesnar. I mean, that's it's it's what politics. Oh, you don't believe that? I mean, it's it could be it could be accurate. It could be it could be not. But I, I will say this: the one glaring issue of this program is I do feel like to fully end this program, like they have never fully explained the turn. Yeah. And why that happened. Yeah. Every fan has kind of inserted their, well, he did it for this or this or this. That's never been explained. Yeah. Yeah. And at this point, like with Brock's sort of so like infrequent appearances and infrequent speaking like um, opportunities, I don't know if we'll ever know the answer to it. Um, put it in. Yeah. Like, and uh, who cares? Maybe he honestly. thought Cody won the title the night before. He didn't stay for the end. And he was confused. <laughs> Honestly, um, that was definitely a fumble of the entire story in hindsight, but they made three really, really excellent matches. And I think um, considering and, know, and this one, I mean, like you have the story here. It's like Cody survived everything Brock threw at him. He survived yeah. the Kimura. He survived the F5. He survived all the suplexes. And it was like this was the big endorsement of Cody. Like this was, again, a, like cementing of Cody as the the, yeah. the, the champion in waiting. 
it's kept Cody feeling like, um, yeah, a main eventer without being him involved in the uh, the title picture. And um, that's kind of like what the prestige of like a Brock Lesnar feud does for, for you. Um, but I mean, Cody has just been excellent. He really has, has to be the one telling the bulk of the story because, again, Brock doesn't really cut promos. He delivers incredible physicality, but it takes a, a great baby face in order to actually turn it into a story. And I think Cody's been, been able to do that. So what are we like, you know, four months into to this program? I mean, they they took up a good chunk of, of the year, you know. So what do you think is next for both guys? I think Brock probably like this, like this, this certainly felt like a uh, departure for, for Brock. Like he doesn't need to go into something immediate. I guess we'll, we'll see around Saudi Arabia time. That would seem logical to have Brock back. And for Cody, I'm expecting some kind of angle on Monday to send him off into his next direction. There are going to be a lot of questions in storyline about why Cody isn't going for Seth Rollins championship and Cody in every, in like multiple press conferences now at this point has pretty much alluded to saying he did, he doesn't want the Rollins title. He wants the Roman title. He wants to go back to WrestleMania to his deal is he's not going to say what he's going after, but everyone knows what it is. And it's, and it's a weird deal. And you have to thread this needle of Cody on this, path toward the, of this lengthier story they're telling while also not degrading the championship that is on your show and mm. it's how do you do that i i would like to see how because yeah. logic would only like logic would be rollins and cody coming out of this mm-hmm. they're two big winners they should be facing off next like that would be logical and if you can't go that direction you need a hell of a reason to explain why cody is not going in that direction and if you do something where it's, it's someone returning or someone taking out cody does this start to feel like just this you did it with the lesnar program and now is this just um a lame duck period for cody and we're going to get another two three match series Right, right. I think as long as the opponent is attractive enough, you know, um, I don't think audiences are going to maybe ask too many questions. You know, I think like wink, wink, like we all know that they're probably keeping Cody like warm until summer's uh, WrestleMania season. And I think we all just ask to be entertained in the meantime, you know, so who are the candidates you think? Marseille. Good. Yeah. We had a, we had a match with Dominic, you know, and that was relatively successful. Um, I guess Balor at this point would be free as well if they want to, you know, do that. Um, are there any other like big names? I'm more interested in like what Brock's got going on. Yeah, he could take time off, but you know, coming back, does he come back at this point as a baby face or as a heel? Do, like, because I thought he'd be the one going for a Rollins championship, and I guess he still can. Um, but although you'd think he would have to, although if you're Brock Lesnar, you don't really have to do much to just you know justify a title title match. So, anyway. yeah, I think he has to be. I think there has to be some kind of segment involving Cody and Seth Rollins coming out of this. And you either um, have them tied together in some form or fashion, or you have a reason for them to go in, in separate directions. Cause that's sort of the, that's the natural um, pairing that you see coming out of a show like this. <laughs> this post wrestling podcast is brought to you by nerd Wallet's smart money podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister and putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. 
Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Uh, they put, they were plugging WrestleMania throughout the show, and man, did Philadelphia get booed by the fans in Detroit. They were not happy <laughs> that Philadelphia is getting WrestleMania. Time for the Slim Jim Battle Royal, and I think I got all the participants here. Santos Escobar, Grayson Waller, the Alpha Academy, Cameron Grimes, uh, J.D. McDonough, you remember him? Yes, uh, Seamus, L.A. Knight, Rick Boog, Shinsuke Nakamura, Apollo Crews, Karrion Cross, United States Champion Austin Theory in a Battle Royal, Matt Riddle, Ciampa, Kaiser, Vinci, Viking Raiders, Nakamura, Bronson Reed, Butch, Rich Holland, and then entrances for The Miz and AJ Styles. So this was our 25-man Slim Jim Battle Royal, uh, where it turns out they're fighting for a commercial. Uh, yeah, we didn't know the stipulation. I guess that was for a reason, because, um, well, listen, you don't really win anything, um, but you do win the opportunity to go back in time to, to remember, do you Remember that... Uh, the, the sign for uh, at WrestleMania 18, they're fighting over shampoo. Yes. We needed that guy tonight. For They're <laughs> fighting over pepperoni. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, this is actually a pretty legitimate thing to want. You know, it's basically be, to be the face of Slim Jim. So if there was any doubt, um, LA Knight was so popular this weekend all over. Like mm-hmm. you were hearing the Yaz breaking out all over the place. At the GCW show. The GCW it. show. And I mean, when I was around downtown, I mean, it was all LA night. Um, there was, there, there was an individual who had like this loudspeaker and he was like, like, um, he was like one of those people who was like uh, yelling about God and stuff uh, on the street. And it's like, Jesus, Jesus, so all the wrestling fans, he would stop, and in between, they go, yeah, yeah, and then this guy was getting a kick out of it, and it was like, <laughs> the Lord, the Lord condemns uh, us, yeah, and it's uh, just uh, ridiculous as wrestling fans interact with non-fans, um, so anyway, LA Knight got a, his own entrance as well, gigantic reaction, and then the final entrant is Omos, who MVP introduces so he's the last entrant and you're thinking like omos is going to win this thing in the end but he was just the big giant to be tackled and uh, not going to go through everyone here i thought chad gable was the standout in this battle royal and elevated this battle royal from just being a collection of eliminations to like he did some uh, cool stuff in this but i mean this largely was just a, a battle royal full of a lot of guys there were so many people here and just Tons of eliminations throughout. Uh, we saw it's, a, it's always a good use of Omos, you know, to have him come here and get the special yeah. entrance and just get that special spotlight. If 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 even just for a few minutes here, be, being in a battle royal, they ganged up on Omos, a bunch of them, all delivering the ten beats led by Sheamus onto Omos, and then <laughs> Omos at one point lifts up Butch and lifts up Riddle like they are two children and he just throws them over the top and yeah. they could not feel like more non-entities than in that moment. Same with JD McDonough and Apollo Cruz, you know, two guys JD McDonough was yeah. they were they were the first two eliminated. I missed their eliminations. That's how inconsequential they were. So yeah. yeah, they were just in and out so that there is like it feels like you need JD- bodies and unfortunately those two are just bodies right now. And McDonough like you were t- like what um circumstance i mean i get the the sense maybe they're maybe maybe a lot of like what what's going on with judgment day was not expected they don't maybe want to want to bother with the chemistry of the four right now because all four of them are doing so well but that that's always a chip they can play and the money in the bank 
story has sort of been become the focus at, yeah. right around the time they sort of dropped the JD aspect cold after mm-hmm. you had the like sort of Balor subtly uh, scouting him. Miz and Waller teamed up for a combo skull crushing finale, rolling stunner. And then they teased like an alliance between those. That was kind of cute because obviously those two are um, almost sort of like, um, you know, different generations of the same character. And, and, you know, right now counterparts on two different brands. And it's always nice, like, you know, on these kind of co-promoted shows that where you can have these nice little moments. And it was almost cute where like the two of them realized, huh, I like this guy, you know. Everyone ganged up and they dumped Omos out. So that was the elimination of, uh, of one of the monsters because you had a bunch of the big guys in here with Bronson Reed, Karrion Cross, uh, Sheamus uh, to a degree. Uh, so Sheamus clotheslines Waller out. AJ delivers a Pele, eliminating Cross. And an Otis. Um, no, this isn't right. I, I have it miss. Gable was back body dropped out of the ring, and the crowd was somewhat disappointed then when, when Gable was eliminated. And then Knight does the, uh, the the guillotine spot, eliminating Reed over the top rope to the floor. So it's down to AJ, Sheamus, and LA Knight. And AJ goes for a phenomenal forearm, but before he can execute it, Cross grabs his leg from the floor after he's eliminated, and that distracts AJ, and Sheamus eliminates him with a brogue kick. So it's down to Knight and Sheamus, which was the match they did on SmackDown down Seamus stops the blunt force trauma and then he clotheslines Seamus out in 12 minutes and 47 seconds and LA Knight is the winner big pop and they went with the um the most logical outcome that everyone saw coming and for that reason I thought they would go a different direction and they in fact went with <laughs> LA Knight yeah I think with uh, with LA Knight you know coming off of um the 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 sort of a title tournament and then um, money in the bank we're all just like wondering if they're continuing to play this game of like teasing us with like giving him something um like if they're using you know disappointment as a tactic to to build him and it's you know tonight was not the case for that in fact tonight um was essentially an entire battle royal crafted around his sponsorship deal now with Slim Jim. Now, not not necessarily sponsorship deal, but he's one of the new faces of. He's he's like basically. I mean, along with Bianca Belair, I suppose in this commercial, but I I would say most at this point would probably associate LA Knight more with it, especially with his catchphrase as like he's kind of taking the role of Macho Macho Man. Randy I mean, Savage. with the catchphrase, I mean, it yeah. almost should have been like we connect the dots, mm-hmm. like of the of what this Slim Jim sponsorship is going to entail. And with it being such a high mm-hmm. uh, dollar value, it makes sense that they want to have a spokesman and he is perfect. fantastic for that. Absolutely. Perfect. Yeah. So it's, I don't know how they introduced the commercial right afterwards, but um, how did they, how did they, like, do you know, on commentary, I'm, I'm curious, like how they went from the end of this battle Royal to just, Oh, here's the guy who won this battle Royal. Turns out um, <laughs> he just filmed the commercial in AI and we have it at our disposal. Do you think that the people at slim Jim are undervaluing the, the SEO value of Omos and they Omos and a slim Jim commercial. I'm sure that would have worked really well too. Yeah. Snap it um, to a slim Jim. Omos. <laughs> um, no, it's 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 clear. Even if he's not winning a championship at this point, he's won a commercial. That's, that's that, I think that's even more valuable, certainly than the U.S. championship at this point. You know, the, the the only thing I think the audience wants is that is confirmation 
that this company sees value in this guy. And I would say over the past month, you know, he's been in prominent roles. It's he's very evident. I it's, mean, this is not this one is where they are fighting. Com- it's like, dude, look at the merch they're putting out for him, giving him the entrances. It's yeah. He always gets mic time. Like, dude, they are aware. Is this guy in line to be champion? No. Like, that's why I'm not that uh, concerned about ages against him. And I don't know if they'll ever see him as, you know, somebody who can oh, maybe like the Rollins championship. Sure. But currently, like as as Cody and Roman Reigns are fighting over like the world championship, I don't see him there. He's in a but, solid supporting role. Like, yeah, he's in a good role. I think people should. Um, he's he was the most popular person on the entire show. I, I do have to say. Um and you know a US championship is there for the taking at any point but i almost feel like that that might even degrade him <laughs> at, at at this point the next match to follow was the MMA rules match between Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler so this is a uh you can win by submission or stoppage and they come so 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 when did you hear about the rules did they announce that on smackdown they announced the rules okay on- because I was sitting with people that were very confused. I think everyone was confused. In yeah. Match. And I really feel like they should have announced it in, in the arena. Because I don't know how many people would have even caught it on SmackDown. I mean, I watched SmackDown on 2X this week and I completely missed it. Um, I mean, I think there was more going for it. Like, even if you didn't know the rules, it's like, okay, a submission. Like, you know what a submission They should have said that, though. But, like, MMA rules could be so many different Dude, things. I was talking to fans who thought this was going to be a real MMA fight. And I guess like there's that confusion of like, hey, could they when you hear uh, Nate Diaz talking about they wanted to do a boxing fight with Uh me and Logan Paul um, and you have Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler, like I guess you could fans might assume they're doing a real fight or something, which Mm -hmm. they were not. But nonetheless, um, so here's my thought at the beginning of this. I think these two put a lot of thought into this match okay Mm -hmm. i think that this was a case of taking a really ambitious idea to a wwe audience that i don't know if they were necessarily ready for it and Mm -hmm. when i watched this it was trying to do worked mma with pro wrestling intertwined into it and i just found it was it was so, a very hard um, acceptance from this audience that was checked out. So is it too ambitious when they've done, you know, Fight Pit in the past, which is like very MMA inspired? I mean, we we recently saw on Raw Underground, you know, to a much smaller degree. But Fight Pit, I think, has been successful even on the main roster. Um, this was certainly mm, maybe a bit different in that it was maybe more submission reliant. Um but it, no matter what, it didn't work. And I agree with everything you said. I think it's a style of, of professional wrestling that a WWE audience just doesn't want and doesn't care about. Beyond that, I was very curious to watch this match to see who this audience was going to treat as the babyface. And the answer was neither. They did not like either person. They did not care about either person. As much as you and I like maybe enjoyed the, the, the video on Monday, I don't think it had maybe a large enough effect on really anybody and their viewpoint of like, you know, who they should be cheering for and who they should be caring about in this program. And- yeah, I think that this is one where I think they looked at this as a chance to try and present this in the way that these two want. Yeah, and you know, I think the strength of Monday's videos were the fact that okay, you're you don't have a defined babyface heel, but hopefully you have sides formed of people that 
are behind Ronda, people are that are behind Shayna. And maybe it was a case of just one week of video packages wasn't going to cement that. And at the start of this, like you could see like Rhonda puts the hands out for the glove touch and Shane is the one that walks off and won't touch gloves. And that's about as much as a tipping point as you were giving to an audience that I don't think you have like a large contingent. of. So wait, so you think that was supposed to signify Rhonda as the baby face? I think it was presenting Rhonda as kind of like the, but the whole build, certainly by the time you finish watching um, the videos, I felt it was very – anyway, it it doesn't matter. Like we can even – Listen, I, I don't think – I think there were a, a long list of issues that this affected. But I think more to the point is that worked MMA is extremely tough. And even if executed tremendously well, um, I don't know, especially for a WWE audience, if that's what they're looking for. Like the spot I hated the most in this mm-hmm. was where the trainers come in to check on Shayna mm-hmm. and then Ronda throws the trainers around. I hated that. And yet that got the biggest reaction from this crowd. They reacted mm-hmm. to the most pro wrestling spot. Exactly. Yeah. Because so what does a- that tell you? Does the audience want this? Well, we in, in a 50,000 seat stadium. The problem is we, we haven't had an education process on the WWE to a WWE audience about like. You know, not to even say like, would this have gotten over in you know Josh Barnett's blood sport? Well, yes, because like they're they're it would have been a different match. People. They wouldn't have been doing as elaborate and like I, I don't think they would have been doing this type of um, submission wrestling and just a lot of stuff. I think it would have been a mu- much more like trying to replicate like an EBI match or something like yeah. that. Yeah, I, I I basically bottom line like it requires I think a, an educational process to 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 lead a WWE audience possibly into this match on top of all the other issues that I think they had with just even building the story but like you know dude behind me was like you know this is getting way too much MMA and and you know uh, I have to imagine like this was a, a match that the crowd was actually about to turn on before they you know call for the finish. Can you explain something to me like was there a standing 10 count or something like if so these are- that's that's that was my uh one, one of many problems with this is that it was billed as an mma rules match and yeah. yet yeah you had like ronda knocks her down why can't she go for the ground this count? was like a tko finish and yet yeah. she was getting like a, a, a reprieve and ronda had to wait for her to get back to her feet i'm like yeah. what is this what mma like, match has this is like separate you're part. not like, are you catering to uh, someone that even has a casual interest of MMA that yeah. follows it, that it was just like, it just did not make sense for, for that spot. I, I noted that as well. I'm, you had Rhonda like continually going for like body shots and setting up the arm bar, which is like, you would understand why you build things around the arm bar. And then there's a step up knee that drills Baszler for the knockdown. But then the ref holds off Rousey. Like this mm-hmm. is a stoppage. She should have won the match. Or Rousey should have been able to go and finish and, and her. And it's at this point where I'm questioning the rules. Yeah. Because it was like, this would be, like, I'm following this. And yeah. it's like, okay, you can have a stoppage win. I'm fine with that. But this was, okay, what does she have to do? There's no count going on. It's almost as if, like, um, they were just kind of conflating, like, referee stoppage with, like, uh, you know, like a TKO in boxing. Where like um you have to back off to you know ask the the actual participant if they're willing to give up, and that's just not how MMA has ever worked. Rousey did her best uh, Toby Amata tribute with an inverted triangle, and she's uh, delivering more body shots. And then Baszler lifts her up, and they land on the floor where the inverted triangle is broken, and they're checking on Baszler's arm as 
Ronda throws the trainers away in the corner. And again, the crowd reacted to this. And I just thought this is just so goofy for what you're trying to get across. And yet the spot, I, I can't say like that nothing was getting a reaction. And then they, I'm not saying the place like tore the, the roof off with this spot, but it was a reaction, at least where I was. And Ronda tries for the arm bar. Baszler counters to the ankle lock and then Rousey breaks that going to apply a rear naked choke, but Baszler is out and it's Baszler who takes the back chokes out Ronda who goes out cold at seven twenty six, And even in seven and a half minutes, I think largely that this audience really checked out of this match. It struggled in the, in the building. And I think now you're hopefully trying to build something. This was, you know, Ronda losing and, and probably it looks like, taking uh, a sabbatical, if if not longer at this point. We don't know what her uh, future is going to be, but it seems like here was this program that had to get sped up, that got affected by her injury, and Mm -hmm. it was all designed to get Ronda this uh, big win for her best friend, and and Shayna gets this win, but it was was certainly... I I would say this was the worst match on the show. Yeah, yeah, Um, at least in terms of crowd reaction. And I, I maybe even hate to like give him that label because there is clear effort. And, I, I and think passion. the effort, w- I think the thought that went into this was significant. But again, sometimes mm-hmm. it's, you're ultimately going to be judged by, did it work or did it not work? Yeah. And it's not, uh, because something failed, it doesn't mean that the effort was not there or they did not care. I think these two deeply cared about mm-hmm. this program and presenting this. And I think in a different setting, um, different context. I I think this could work, but th- there were some key things in this match that I certainly would have eliminated. And I would say key things in the build up to it as well that I'm sure like probably affected what like we, we should have had tonight. We should have had at least a demonstration on Raw of Shayna just killing killing somebody. Like you bring out Jessamine Duke and she beats her in three minutes, and we know what this match entails. Like, what yeah. does a stoppage look like? What yeah. does a submission finish look like? Yeah. Uh, and who knows, like, if if they actually had the time that they needed to tell a story like this, if, if you would have got some of that. Um, I mean, this was all pretty much sped up in, in a month. Um, I, I, I think. But with the last month, should it have been just all promos? Like, when so much of the match was an ex- an experimental match, and that that right. was a big failing of this match. And the promos, I mean, they had their own criticism with them. Like, I think so much was focused on the personal issue and not enough about, like, like honestly, this probably should have just been uh, just, then a straight-up match. I don't know if you could have just done everything, John. Like, I mean, I think they had, had enough trouble just getting people interested in the in the feud itself. And honestly, com- uh, coming off of this, uh, watching this, I don't even know if WWE themselves have much of an idea of what an MMA rules match is or should should be. You know, um, I don't think it was well conveyed to the audience. And um, it's too bad because, like, yeah, I do think a lot of effort and care and love was put into the design of the match. But it just did not get over for various reasons. And it was just almost kind of, kind of sad to see when they're going for each other's finishers. That got no reaction, you know, like usually when, you know, so like we saw later on, like, you know, uh, Finn Balor hitting a pedigree, a huge pop. But it was at this point where, like, I think the crowd was either checked out or, like, they weren't just weren't into, like, this sort of, like, minuscule details of, like, go you know, finish submission changing into another submission. And it, they just – they were – um there were chants of, like, this is boring. There were chants of, uh, uh, 
you know, like basically like when the match ended, when the, when the referee, you know, called for uh, the, the stoppage, um, people were cheering because the match was over and it was really unfortunate. It was really unfortunate, especially coming off of the two matches prior to this that were the loudest on the entire show. Following that was a Gunther and Drew McIntyre for the Intercontinental Championship. So they didn't get 20 minutes, but they they got close to 14. They started off with, with striking, and then we get uh, the German suplexes from Gunther and Drew with the belly-to-belly suplexes. The first Claymore is ducked by Gunther, and he shotguns Drew into the corner. And Gunther avoids the Claymore, bails to the floor, and Drew hits a big dive, goes for the countdown, and Gunther cuts him off with another shotgun dropkick and a powerbomb for a two-count. Gunther landed the splash, and then Drew catches his arm to prevent a chop, lands his own. They get into a chop battle. Drew ducks the last one, landing the Claymore as Gunther comes off the ropes and gets a near fall as Gunther kicks out of the Claymore. Drew then gets sent off the top and is crotched on the top rope. There's a splash from Gunther, big lariat, and the powerbomb keeps Drew down in 13 minutes and 43 seconds. They were going in with very high expectations um yep. this wasn't the level of the triple threat at, at wrestlemania i i thought it was a i thought it was a very good match between the two um but it wasn't at the top of my list on on this show no compared to i think i would say you know maybe other other iterations of like this grouping of like you know drew gunther and sheamus this was probably on the weaker side you know i think the sheamus certainly the clash of the castle match was um, much better than this one and even the wrestlemania three-way was better than this and i think i might have had like you know highest ex- expectations for these two just considering um i think their uh like their their interactions with one another even dating back to that survivor series like way back when um but i this didn't get to like that next level and i do wonder how much of it the the, the, chops, the claymore kick out i think they were approaching that like again yeah. this was uh, it was a very good match and you're right i think they were on the cusp of that and i think if like again this match this show the way it was timed out i mean eight matches i just couldn't fathom it how long this was this long. this was only 1343 and like that should be enough to like you know i i think lift the crowd to a certain level for me sitting from where i was i expected these chops to be a lot louder you know when you're watching a gunther match it's usually just like you know like everybody and that snaps you into the match right you didn't really hear that sound. I don't know how it came across on TV, but like I was kind of sitting in like the first deck or, and, and you just like, they just, they were silent chops. And, and a lot of that I'm sure is the acoustics of the building itself, but man, clash of the castle was like, you know, at a pretty big place too. And um, that sounded plenty, plenty loud, but even beyond that, I, 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 I failed. This was a little bit disappointing just because I expected this to be a very easy match of the night. Um, you know winner if not at least a contender and i won't i don't even know if i put this like top three you know it, it would be there, top three for me but there um, were louder moments for a distance sure. from one and two for me yeah seth rollins against finn balor for the world heavyweight championship and balor jumps him before the bell and he's got the word seven written on the shoulder right where the injury occurred at SummerSlam 2016. That was a, a, a cool little, you know, nod to what the whole well, feud is part of the story, based on. story of the match and, and the character's motivation heading into this. Balor is working on the, on the arm of Rollins in the beginning. The, and the shoulder really specifically like targeting the shoulder. He's going after. Yeah. He's, he's going after and wants to deliver the same pain to, uh, to, to Rollins. And this would continue throughout the, the match. We see, 
Rollins hit three consecutive suicide dives, and then Balor runs Rollins' shoulder into the post from the edge of the apron, and Rollins lands by the barricade, and they let it pause for everyone to understand what the setup is, and Balor goes to powerbomb him into the barricade. Rollins stops it on the first try, but then after Rollins is knocked from the edge, uh, Balor successfully power bombs him into the barricade as the role reversal from the injury spot at the last SummerSlam. There's a sling blade in the ring, and then a shotgun dropkick gets stopped as Rollins manages a super kick. Balor goes to an arm bar, and that's broken by a pair of buckle bombs from Rollins. Rollins then lands a frog splash for a two, and Balor has a busted open mouth at, at this point in the match. Balor goes for the coup de gras and it's boarded with a superplex. And as he goes for the Falcon Arrow, Balor has an inside cradle counter. Both are down. The crowd is applauding this. And then um, there is a missed coup de gras and Rollins hits the pedigree for a two count. And the crowd is pretty loud at this point. But to me, it goes to another level when Damian Priest comes out. And now they are thinking like this is when the match is going to heighten. And there's a very believable chance that um, Damian Priest could either um, do an angle here or Balor could win at, at this point. So we get a lot of great near falls here, including Balor uh, sending Rollins into the ropes after a kickout. And Damian Priest nails Rollins and sends him back towards Balor, who hits Rollins with the pedigree and this near fall, dude. This play, this might have been the loudest pop on the show. Mm-hmm. Reminded me of the uh, Sean Hunter Taker pedigree tease. Remember with the pedigree and super kick. super kick right into the pedigree. Yeah, a uh, great, great spot. And Priest then waves Rhea and Dominic from the audience, so they appear ringside. And Priest hands the case over to Balor. But Balor chooses to hand it back to him. And with this delay, Rollins runs into Priest and then rolls through and he nails Balor with a curb stomp. Another huge near fall. I don't know if he handed it back to him. Like Priest like put it on the on the mat for Balor to grab. But Balor, I thought he handed it back to him. He had it in his hands. Priest had it in his hands? Balor had it in his hands. Okay. So Balor. Sorry, sorry. So Priest hands him the case, yeah. and then Balor chose not to use it. Did he? Why would he choose not to use it? I I don't. I didn't I, put this together. I thought he just like left it there, or like I thought Priest just shoved it into the ring for Balor to grab, but Balor didn't grab it in time before Rollins was able to curb stop him. Okay, well, someone someone correct us. I I thought he actually physically had it in his hands at, at this point. Okay. Um, regardless, it ends with a curb stomp to Balor into the briefcase mm-hmm. on the floor and with that um that gets to another huge near fall they had a lot of creative uh near falls set, set up oh, that, i thought that was the finish that you're talking about. oh you're right you're right this was just a regular curb stomp for the near fall okay uh rollins then hits a dive to priest on the floor and curb stomps dominic runs in hits is hit with a sling blade and a shotgun drop kick this time Balor hits the coup de grace another big uh, near fall here and priest takes the case distracts the ref as Balor's crawling towards it and as he's crawling towards the briefcase that's when Rollins curb stomps him on top of the briefcase in 18 minutes and 27 seconds and afterwards Damian Priest is looking at Balor and just shaking his head in disappointment um 
this was like this was my toss up between this and Lesnar and Cody. I mm-hmm. thought both matches were just excellent. They they really to me put this show over the top for me. Um, they were excellent. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think you can just flip a coin of what. How long was this one? Was. This was uh, eighteen and a half. Yeah, I definitely felt like it. Um, they really took their time with the pacing early on. By you know, the story entirely is based off of Balor's shoulder injury from seven years ago, and so they were able to use that to tell like a pretty, you know, uh, psychology based uh, shoulder story that I thought was really well done um, and captivating because you know it had so many um, so much story depth attached to it. And every time Roll- Rollins was uh, uh, sorry, Balor was going for like a buckle bomb, um, it it felt significant, but the the match completely shifted in tone into you know towards telling the priest balor um uh sort of a money in the bank jealousy story and that was really really well done um these audiences myself included love this tension now between finn balor and damian priest and what they had this entire month of both of them wanting to go for seth rollins championship and both of them trying to be accommodating for the other while at the same time secretly either wanting the other person to fail. And I thought all of that played out in like sort of a wonderful like sequence um, throughout this match where you had at the same at once, you know, obviously like priest was coming out here. You don't know if he's here to cash in or if he's here to help Balor out. Turns out he was here to help Balor out, but um, in doing so kind of, cost Balor or at least you know that's the ongoing tension that I think will be introduced like but Priest in trying to help Balor or Balor instructing Priest to help him ended up making Priest cost Balor by giving um, Rollins a weapon for Balor to stomp on him his his head on to so they, they come up with brilliant ways of I think continuing to play with these sort of like uh relationship dynamics between these two members maybe a lot of people would have been disappointed at this outcome because i think this would have been actually you know a perfect chance to take the title off of rollins keep the belt on valor and continue that that tension um but you know clearly they have other plans for finn rollins uh sorry seth rollins matches and i do wonder how they will continue to tell this finn balor's damien priest sort of a love-hate relationship now that finn isn't necessarily going for the title yeah, and I mean that, and that was the whole setup: is that Balor gets this the next chance here at SummerSlam, and then it's Damian's turn. So that's I, I think they they have a lot of interesting aspects with, with the Judgment Day. They're doing it without the title in the group, but uh, probably still tying the group to Rollins in some form or fashion. May yeah, maybe you think so. Obviously, right? Because Priest is always going to be attached. But um, I mean, um, is this their? This has been like a really good build, I would say, for for Balor and Rollins. I think um, it's taken Balor to another level because you know it's it's made him serious. Um, it, it's allowed him to cut some very serious promos that we haven't necessarily seen in a long time, and uh, the matches have been really good too. There was a Mike's Harder Lemonade spot with Alpha Academy and The Miz, and then Oscar, Charlotte Flair, and Bianca Belair for the Women's Championship. And as they were pushing on SmackDown, Flair is five and zero oh at SummerSlam. Mm-hmm. So that was our the new streak, the new streak, the yes. one they, that they hopefully won't screw up. Um. Well, well, actually, well, I guess we, it's already broken. How does, how does <laughs> that go? Like, it's, it's already over. It seems like it's uh, it's gone. All right. So each are taking turns at the beginning. It's kind of a stalemate, and then 
Uh, Asuka uh, hits a code breaker to Flair to stop a figure four onto Belair. All three women are down. Belair hits a DDT neckbreaker combo onto the two at the same time. We have Asuka landing big kicks onto the two. And then there's an Asuka lock on the ropes and Flair boots her off. Belair tries for the KOD and Flair lands on her feet, rotates uh, for a suplex. And then Belair stops uh, Flair, who is in a triangle from Asuka and delivers a doctor bomb. The Oscar lock is applied from be, uh, from uh, behind onto Belair, so they're doing a lot of different like three way spots here. Flair goes to the top when Belair and Oscar are on the floor, and she goes for a moonsault onto uh, the, uh, it was Belair, and dude, she like totally cleared her. <laughs> she landed. I mean, that's that's the usual sort of Charlotte moonsault, you know. Th- this one was just like it was like like skimmed her hair is how far she went over mm-hmm. here. Um, nonetheless, um, she goes for figure fours to both of them at the same time inside of the ring that gets stopped and Belair is sent to the floor and she starts holding her knee and she's screaming. And then she starts to be helped to the back when Flair applies the figure eight onto Oscar and Belair crawls back. Now at this point, like this audience, they had not been really into this match, but when Belair crawled back, there was this huge pop Mm -hmm. to get behind Belair. Who's got a damaged knee and she comes to the, you know, this is this is uh, this is how you fix a torn ACL. Okay, you climb to the top rope, and you hit a four fifty as Charlotte is bridged in her figure eight position and breaks up the submission. And this leads to um, uh, the crowd just coming alive as she goes for the pin onto Flair after the four fifty. Flair then knocks Oscar off the apron, and she applies the figure eight to Bel Air. And Asuka returns, and with Flair upside down for the figure eight, she gets sprayed with mist in the face. And from there, Belair cradles Asuka and gets the pin in 20 minutes and 44 seconds. And the place pops for Belair's win. And then Eosky's music hits, and everyone goes nuts. She comes down. Bailey is with her and attacks Flair and Asuka with the briefcase. Sky then nails Belair in the knee that's already injured and is waiting on the top rope for them to announce the cash in and then hits over the moonsault, pinning Belair in 10 seconds. And this, um, you know, last year, it was the debut of these three together as a group when with damage control when they confronted Bianca Belair. So here it is a year later and they cost her the title and Eosky is your women's champion and Dakota Kai showing up to celebrate with that was a really nice moment, and, and one who, who is not ready to come back yet. She noticed yes, she is yes. not cleared. Yeah, um, the match certainly felt like it was a bit on the longer side because um, this was late all, in the show, and they went um, and, and 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 the feud is cold. You know, I don't think they put that much like um, successful build towards it. Um, it. It was sort of awkward, I would say, um, between the three for the most part, or just really not that engaging and interesting to justify a, a good chunk of that length. Um, I also had the unfortunate sort of, um, you know, luck of like sitting in front of like some very drunk, some very misogynistic men. Then I was just like throughout the entire match, just having to like listen to, to, to just some, just awful comments you know and then that's just one of the unfortunate things about watching wrestling live and especially when you're like you know watching a a women's match that i think you know we we don't realize just like how easy of a target these sort of matches are 
um, especially when you know the the build is not interesting and, and and the criticism just goes towards just things I will never repeat on on these airwaves. But um, it did cloud my sort of attention on the match a bit. Uh, but you know, as like sort of like maybe as um cliche as like you know the mid match injury is. It worked completely for Bianca yep. Belair here and took this match to a whole nother level. Got got these audiences into it. Uh, and the rush to the finish, I thought, was absolutely spectacular. So they 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 definitely got got them by the end. But maybe a few minutes could have been shaved off of this. this it did match. go a little lengthy, but I would I would say the totality of this. I mean, it gave you one of one of if not the big moment on the show with the cash in like that was, you know, yep. that's that's one of the big, big. Uh, stories coming out of the show yeah so. yeah and the knee story like really well told to set that up i think i think the cash in felt likely to me just given how understated eo's been she lost to uh, zelina vega last night mm-hmm. so you know that's almost always a sign that perhaps something is coming and also like you compare it to the damien priest money in the bank run where they give you reminders every single week that damien priest might cash in he might cash in he might cash in whereas with eo it's been completely understated which um given maybe the focus on these three and how much EO has been in the background kind of made it feel ripe for that surprise win. What are the odds that Charlotte will continue to be promoted as a never been pinned at SummerSlam? Yeah, I think, I think it's good. Yeah. I think, I think that technicality will help them out, but you know, with EO, he, she's sort of like a classic money in the bank winner where like, she's, well, she's a bit stronger than like most people like feel like, you know, like Austin Theory, like who got jobbed out endlessly for before his failed attempt. But um, she's still to me kind of starting from scratch where they haven't put so much like character build around her. She had that great moment in back at the at backlash and the great moment at Money in the Bank. But in terms of just like who Eosky is, I feel like there's still so much work to be done. But, you know, I think audiences are ready for it. Yeah, I will tell you at the press conference, these three, they came across as like the, the biggest most, baby faces, the most likable yeah. baby faces that you would want to root for. I mean, yeah. they it was just like, man, these three like like they're they're fine heels. But I mean, you see them in like the, just that kind of a light. Uh, I mean, like these are three like they are they genuinely friends. are great friends and they have which such will, a which will make the care for wonderful. each other. And <laughs> Heels, uh, but nonetheless, um, so there you go. It was like past midnight, and now it was time for tribal combat. So that meant, um, an hour of entrances and Jay Uso taking on Roman Reigns for the Universal Championship and who would be the head of the table. So Reigns raises the uh, the, the beads in front of Jay to show what's a, what's at stake here, what's what's the real prize we're fighting for. So, I mean, th- this was a long drawn out match and i'm if, if i'm going to talk about the women's match that could have been shaved down i mean as much as people are into this story um 36 minutes was a lot for this match when we mm-hmm. talk about like what were the key parts of the of this match and did 36 minutes be the required length to tell this story was every second optimal right right um Maybe maybe there's more leeway certainly for somebody like a Roman Reigns who feel, like has kind of proven that every instance that he's on screen, people are attracted to, people will watch. Um, maybe you give him a bit more leeway. But did what did the did the match drag for you? It did. Yes. 
uh, yeah, I felt like it was a pretty standard Roman Reigns like main event type of pace. You know what? It, 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 I thought it was like the the layout was like what you get for these big epic bloodline matches. I thought this one though, it, it did not have the heat that kind of sustained it that had that some of the other big matches have had. Like I found this was right. this is a pretty exhausted crowd by by the end of it. This is like we're talking people that have been in their seats for over four hours at, at this point, if not more. And I think they've sat through a lot of lengthy matches. And this was one that I think this is one where I think everyone knew that there's probably not just going to be a finality to this match until you get several appearances or a big angle, something rather than just the the, the first, I would say, 20, 25 minutes until Solo Sokoa got right. involved. Yeah, I, they did have um, tribal combat, which is essentially a hardcore match to try to like maybe differentiate that, that pattern up. And I would say um, this might be like the most mm, tame main event hardcore match that like you'll see in 2023 certainly they like it had the roman pace where like they were taking their time with everything and i don't even complain about that because i think it's 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 when you're this over like you can get away with everything and it and conservation is to me almost impressive to see how how much value somebody can get off of doing very little um but in terms of risk like for a hardcore match i i mean i watched the parking lot brawl like as I was waiting in the press box, in the press box. So, well, I mean, I, there's a whole hour to kill, and God, like, just it's a world of difference, you know, like how much people were doing for Rampage versus like how much, how little these guys were actually doing for SummerSlam. And uh, again, I, I don't, I hate to even compare like which is better. They're both good. It, it just means like, um, but I, I am even more impressed that like they can get away with doing so little and still like give you 36 minutes of a main event. Yeah. I mean, they, the crowd chanted for tables and Jay obliged. And then it was just a procession of kendo stick shots. Jay managed a tope con hero to the floor. And then it's, you know, building things around the spear and Jay offsetting reins. At one point he hit an Uso splash for a two count. Then he got a chair. Then he got a pile of chairs from underneath the ring and he was attacking reins. A table is set up in the corner and there's one on the floor that led to Roman uh, taking a Samoan drop from Jay. And he is put through the table on the floor. Jay then pulls out a strap strap mm -hmm. and he starts whipping reins and they go into the crowd and this is when solo appears and he attacks jay there were loud boos for this and there's a spinning solo that puts jay through the table they carry him back to the ring and then solo and reins are preparing for their samoan spike spear combo but jay sidesteps and reigns spears solo by mistake and jay hits the spear for a big near fall and dude this crowd they were I don't want to say completely buying that Jay was going to win this, but they at least reacted for this near fall. Mm -hmm. And I do think that was a tough one that I think the audience, they just saw, they did not see Jay in the same way they saw Sami Zayn or a Cody in terms of someone that they can at least suspend disbelief to truly believe could beat Roman Reigns. And, mm -hmm. and that's going to get tougher and tougher when you are doing different opponent. And I think Jay, while I think he has really ascended to this role, he justifiably deserved this spot on the show. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this audience like saw him as like, I think everyone knew Reigns is keeping this, but hopefully this is a fun ride in terms of the story evolution. I think that we're also existing in a Roman Reigns reign post 
Sami Zayn and Cody Rhodes. I think we're all of the impression now that if you weren't going to leave, like you know, have Cody win it at WrestleMania, nobody stands a chance unless it's Cody Rhodes at the next WrestleMania. Well, the Jay starts to attack both with chair shots, including to the midsection of Reigns to weaken him for the spear. And Jay goes down on the floor and Reigns puts his hand out for Solo to lift him up. But Solo doesn't help. And Solo is pissed. And this leads to Roman talking to Solo. And with his attention diverted, he is speared through the barricade by Jay. Jay follows with a super kick to Solo onto the desk and splashes Solo through the desk, spears Reigns in the ring, and then hits the Uso splash. We have a new champion. We have a new tribal chief. One, two, and Jay is yanked to the floor by a man whose face is hidden in a hoodie. Who could it be? Was it Rikishi? Did he do it for The Rock? No, it was Jimmy. And Jimmy reveals himself and he just looks at his brother and dude, Jay is emotional. He's looking down. He's in tears. And we hear fuck you, Jimmy chants from the crowd. And then I like that. He paused, he waited, and then he executes and super kicks Jay in the face. Reigns is surprised by all of this. They make it up that this was not some grand plan. This was Jimmy acting on his own. And then Reigns proceeds to spear Jay through the table in the corner and wins the match in 36 minutes and four seconds. I, I would not have complained about the length if this audience was, um, Fully into this, but I think the, the audience felt the length of this one and, and it did take it down a, a notch for me. But you did get a pretty big ending in terms of an angle to come out of this. Not stunning that you had Jimmy turn on Jay. That was certainly thrown out there, but I thought they executed that aspect of it well. Um, and, and I do believe like Jay can hang as as a top singles act. I think that was, uh, he had a very good match here, but this to me was... I think the time affected it and it, it was, it was just, it, it was really drawn out for me. It was, it was slow at, at points. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was extra slow because like you, you know, Roman matches to me usually have like the benefit of commentary to do a lot of the heavy lifting, you know, because it is such a slower pace. And also I think um, oftentimes they'll do a lot of talking in ring and we obviously didn't have that benefit watching live. Um, But beyond that, I also do think maybe um, a position like this, while I think Jay was absolutely the right guy for this. And it's really amazing how much he's achieved as a predominantly tag team wrestler to be able to, you know, headline a hot justified main event for SummerSlam. I do think like he still shows maybe some deficiencies in either um, charisma or I would even say confidence in be playing this sort of like high profile role when I compare it to, you know, Roman Roman's defenses against Sammy or Cody. And that's at the very top, you know, but um, I, I, I feel there's still something lacking out of a Jey Uso, you know, singles performance for me to really feel like he could be the next guy. And I, I, that's not to say it can't come with, with time. You know, this is a guy who spent his entire life playing, you know, um, tag team wrestler. And it looks like now they'll be, you know, having the stick, stick with a singles runs with the, with Jimmy or with Jey Uso. So I look forward to seeing how he'll progress uh, both as a promo and also as, you know, a singles wrestler. And Um, whether this brings Owens and Zayn back into the bloodline story. And that's mm -hmm. like, Jay has nobody else. And now, you know, you have Sammy and, you know, the, the, 
the idea will, will Kevin Owens. Uh, yeah, but like I, I almost get the the impression like Sammy has said that they Sammy and Kevin have both said that they're, they're done with the bloodline. Are are they truly done? You know, is this like spinning sort of the, the wheel for like to, again by by bringing them back in by bringing the same characters back in? Here's how it goes. Okay, Kevin, I know we were done with the Usos, but. It's this or the Viking Raiders. What do you want to do? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it could be that. Or does Solo move over to join Jay? They they certainly tease that aspect as well of like Solo being sort of more um, divided uh, coming out of this. Mm-hmm. So there's there's some interesting stuff of where they can go. But from how this. long can we play these musical chairs for? You know, with these same characters. Did you hear Paul Heyman? They're in the bottom of the third. Bottom of the third. Bottom of the third. Yeah, okay, I guess they have so. lots to do. Lots to go. I like the twist. Um, I and I think like it's not unprecedented. I mean, like we've learned that J- Jimmy Uso in the past was against like um, the idea of like what um, having Jay Uso be tribal chief or or being main event Jay or whatever. He's been like he's jealous brother. I think that's the, you know all the explanation that he really really needs. So I look forward to that story. Obviously, they're going to do a singles match between the two at some point, and uh, we'll see how how far that goes. But I also which, want- which I would not do right away. I would no. I would hold off on the, that until it's a big i match i i think I, i'd also like some other characters to be like brought into their their little universe you know who else can they elevate now at this point um the way that Sami Zayn like so perfectly fit into what they were doing i mean it's you go before that it's like Sami Zayn did not strike you as someone that would have fit into this story and like mm-hmm. uh, there's certainly i'm sure a roster full of like interesting candidates that you could add some more dimensions to this story after you you've kind of done the the roman jay situation now you have like jay can spin off with jimmy in some form where roman ends up uh and how many more big programs does roman have this year like you figure he's involved like we have payback next month mm-hmm. then fast lane Saudi Arabia and Survivor Series. Those are the four big matches. Mm-hmm. And how is Roman handled throughout the last couple of months? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, you know, Bobby Lashley is is becoming, um, you know, a, a threat again. Although it seems like they might be heels with the Street Profits. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Like AJ is far, far, far from you know the title picture at the moment. Um, trying to think who who else might be interesting. Could they do Sheamus, or is that too too low? Could they do anybody who took pl- who took part in the Slim Jim Battle Royal? Um, that it, w- it would be tough. It would require some some great uh, promos yeah. and and building uh, towards that. I don't know if Rick Boogs is ready for that. No, I don't think so either. So that was SummerSlam. I think overall, I would still give this a. Well, where, where do you go on this? So um, it's not like a unanimous – like the fact that I even have to consider it mm. tells me that like I didn't like the show as much as like either WrestleMania. I'm better with, with numbers than I am like thumbs up. Thumbs I would middle. give it like a 7 out of 10. That feels you know? about right. I, I thought the two matches with uh, Cody against Lesnar and Finn against Seth Rollins were excellent. I thought those were three uh, – two outstanding matches and – uh, th- that the next tier I would have sort of the uh, Gunther Drew, Ricochet, uh, Logan Paul, and, and I put Tribal Combat below those two. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of, of a Roman Roman Reigns match, like it wasn't sort of like 
the magic that I think we've experienced with with maybe the the the, the program in the past. Um, I I too felt like the I thought the Cody Brock match was very special, maybe in its sort of like minimalism, um, and and it was just a very impressive feat just to be able to get those sort of reactions. I think a lot of people coming out of the arena will be talking about LA Knight. Um, he's like he feels like definitely the it guy it's the same feeling that that we've had like that i've had you know with bray Wyatt coming out of like that new orleans wrestlemania or like even rob van dam coming off of like the like one of those early invasion smackdowns they thankfully seem like they're actually capitalizing on la night right now so um that that might be what you know the SummerSlam might 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 be remembered for unfortunately um you know, Eos guy had a big night, but the, the reception to both women's matches were on the lower side of things on this particular show um, in general, in general, because the, the three way like ended up being really good. But the one I would say negative mark on the show that you could definitely say was unfortunately Shayna and Ronda. And that was just a maybe bad choice of, you know, match type. We went over. I, I think I think there were several factors that that uh, affected that that you could certainly go to the uh, the drawing board with. All right. Um, it is nearly uh, four in the morning, so we're going to uh, zip through some feedback that people have left us on, on the forum. Uh, we will get to what we can here, um, but we are we are hitting our, yeah, our expiration. We, we actually have some super chats here, and a lot, a lot of you go, wow, like over you know 200-something of you are actually watching live um, this late. So some of you guys, I wonder where you even live. But um, thank you for that. And let's go to some of your super chats right now. Uh, first, let's go to her niece, Delacruz, who says, that was the quietest I've ever heard. 59,000, 59, he says in brackets, 50,000 to be exact people during the MMA match. Yeah, they were quiet, definitely. I mean, um, unfortunately, a lot of people were using it as their bathroom break, either because of their lack of interest in, in the feud itself or their just lack of reaction to the match. Um it was a big come down match for sure coming off of the Cody and uh, for, for as long as this show was, it's not like one of those WWE shows where you're saying like, man, there was just so much um, just excess in terms of like tons of video packages mm-hmm. or backstage. There was nothing backstage other than like that, that Mike's hard lemonade spot. Like there was nothing. Uh, it was just match, match, video, match, match, match. A couple of video packages, either to promote the matches or like, um, like it didn't feel like morning. anywhere near normal. Yeah, in yeah. terms of the usual like inventory load, like this was like for your four plus hours, it was like almost like over ninety percent. It was tight. It was tight. Yeah. Uh, thank you for the super chat, Hernice. Let's go to Brian Dillon, who sends a uh, ten euro. Thank you, Brian. He says, finally, being a dairy farmer in Ireland has paid off. Get to listen to you guys live for once. SummerSlam was no good, by the way. The opener was good, and the cash-in was the highlight. So. I can't. I can't say it was. It was no good. Uh, all right. Well, thank you for that. Let's go to Andy, who says the main event prevented the show from being outstanding. That story jumped the shark and is past its best conclusion. Cody should have won. Lazy creative. Mm, I can't agree with that. It's like you might not have enjoyed the main event. That that story has hardly jumped the shark. Um, Just look at the ratings. The number like that is the hottest story in pro wrestling, and it's the, like you might not be a fan of uh, some elements of it, but it is like that is the the straw that is uh, turning the drink in WWE. I will say, like I, I do agree that I don't think I I, I part of me want, wonders if it's peaked. You know, but that's also because I think the both the Sammy and the Cody stories were so strong heading into WrestleMania season. And I'm 
I'm confident that heading into WrestleMania season again, especially if it's going to be Cody that'll be challenging again, you're going to reach that peak again. Um, you're just past this area. You're just in this little area where I just, I just don't think people are buying, you know, a title change whatsoever. And maybe it's a bit of a staleness of like, you know, those musical chairs, people, this guy's turning on this guy and then this guy's turning on this guy. And then solo is going to turn on the other, other guy. So there's a little bit of that, but I think it's hardly like, jump the shark territory the, the, the stuff of jay leaving and all of that like that's been very strong stuff and it might not be that it's the story of like who's going to unseat roman for the title but there's certainly intrigue in the drama of like where the key characters are going uh the the, the breakup of the bloodline like I, it's we we also have to remember that like what we're watching right now between this and what cody's doing with brock these are really they they'll never call it this, but these are meant to be almost like placeholder programs so that they can bridge this gap between this WrestleMania, last WrestleMania, and this WrestleMania. And in the case of Brock, I think they've done tremendously with Cody, and I think Jay, they've done great with Roman and Jay as well. You know, as like you know, what are essentially B feuds, but you know, so that you're keeping those two apart from each other. I think they've actually been over delivering in many ways. Let's go to Sam, who says. Uh, thank you for this uh, super chat, Sam. He says, just know I appreciate the both of you more than you know. Well, thank thanks, you, Sam. That's very nice of you to say. Thank you for staying up with us. All right, let's go to uh, some feedback from forum.postwrestling.com, which is available to all of our patrons. And again, those of you listening to us live, maybe who don't know what, what, what we're about, we are a uh, pro-wrestling pro, pro website and, and series of podcasts uh, run predominantly through our supporters on Patreon, which is postwrestlingcafe.com. If you sign up $6 a month, you get a bunch of bonus shows, including uh, G1 reviews for every single G1, uh, Collision Course, which is our AEW review, coming out tomorrow, 6 p.m. Eastern with Kate and Nate, and also Rewind a Smackdown every single Friday with me and John talking about Smackdown plus other bonuses, including our road trip podcast that we just put out uh, talking about our great time so far in the city of Detroit. All right. We'll do a few here. Jake from the Windy City. SummerSlam was a mixed bag of some good matches and some just okay. Cody and Brock was a near perfect conclusion. Logan and Ricochet both had a decent outing. By the way, Logan hopping on a plane in warp speed and actually traveling from Detroit to Dallas and arriving to the fight on time was insane. Slim Jim giving LA Knight the good luck charm sure made me happy. Main event was not great. It was not well paced and the finish was a stinker. Just a thumbs in the middle for such a high standard that Triple H puts on for PLEs. Let's go to Fabrus from Malaysia, who says, aside from EOS cash in LA Net winning the Battle Royal and Cody winning clean over Brock, this was an average SummerSlam. Logan Ricochet and Gunther Drew did not meet my lofty expectation, while Seth and Finn had a fine match. Shane and Ronda worked hard, but the crowd was not into it, and I do feel that the match does not fit the stadium vibe. The three-way women's match was okay, but Charlotte's sloppy offense took me out of it a little. The main event match pacing was terrible. Way too slow. I even had a micro-sleep during the match, and the turn by Jimmy just made the bloodline storyline. Jump the shark. Thumbs in the middle for me. All right, we go to Cody from Maine. I'll admit to being a wet blanket with my feedback. That show didn't do it for me at all. The Lesnar Road story, or lack thereof, ends as it began, nonsensically, with Cody not getting disqualified for using the, the stairs and Brock still endorsing him at the end despite getting cheated. It's a shame. This feud had a lot of potential. Then there's the three men's title matches, all of which to me had lame duck challengers. Gunther's reign isn't ending before he breaks the record. Rollins losing the belt that was essentially made for him after less than three months didn't seem likely either. And then there's the main event. Dark side time their bash episode. Well, this week, because swerve, bro, this was a plotting match with a hilariously bad ending. Jimmy was sent to the hospital by Roman and Solo a month ago, but the idea of his brother being champion is worse. 
Is it totally out of character? Maybe not. Is it satisfying? Not to me. He thinks it jumped the shark. That's the big uh, buzz. Interesting. Okay. Well, maybe we're in the minority here. Let's see what Nick from Boston says. He says, a good but not great show for me. Every match delivered in what about what was expected, but nothing really felt like it went above and beyond. Jimmy being the cane to Jay's able is a shock and awe moment, but does it leave me? But it does leave me with a bit of a sour taste in my mouth following a main event of that length and pace. Roman hasn't won a match clean since he beat Matt Riddle back in June of 2022, I think. Hopefully, with this latest twist, we get to see a bit of a shift in his match formats as new non-bloodline challengers get introduced or he inevitably takes on Solo. Nas from New York. So so I understand this was the first pay-per-view in America since WrestleMania. And judging by how the crowd sounded on TV tonight, WWE should consider moving all pay-per-views abroad. The Usos during their interview with Ariel Hawani last month in London said that their dream was to face each other at WrestleMania in a one-versus-one match. The opener, Seth match, and the cash-in were great. Everything else was pretty flat to me compared to the high standards WWE has set their shows with this year. I agree, White Castle is terrible. (laughs) <laughs> let's go to muggin who says a mixed bag some good some head scratching rousey baylor baszler did brings down did bring things down a little, a little here's what worked cody brock three eclipsed the first two matches they've had la Knight got his first his moment in the sun eel became women's champion finn's paranoia clouded his judgment and tribal combat had a can enable twist i felt sick seeing jimmy betray jay when it counted Okay, and the last one here from Click. I'm a little surprised by some of the feedback. In person, this was an excellent show. Opener was awesome. Ricochet was very over. I loved Cody and Brock. Felt like a David versus Goliath story. Battle Royal was meh for the first half as in person. It's very hard to see what's even going on when the ring is full. Ronda and Shayna was a giant flop. Lots of boring, and this is boring. Clap, clap, clap chants. Finn and Rollins was my match of the night. Gunther and Drew was very good. Triple Threat Women's was in a tough spot. It was getting super late, and the crowd just wanted the main event to come. And the last match, Tribal Combat. Crowd was very into the performers, but once they went to the floor, you couldn't see anything. And the Jimmy reveal was botched by the stupid speaker system as half the crowd couldn't even see his face. See picture below. Crowd hated the finish, as did I. I have to imagine Jay is going to team with Sammy and KO now and go up against Jimmy, Roman, and Solo. Gives a 7.5 out of 10. Great crowd tonight. And just a very fun show in person right um i guess they only had two big screens up top and if you're sitting in a seat where you're the speakers were blocking the screens um that's that kind of sucks maybe they you. thought it was logan paul's buddy who was just hanging out all night uh maybe maybe yeah um i mean that you're gonna run into that issue in every different arena that's not really something i i would blame the wwe for um maybe you can argue they should put up more screens elsewhere um but you know, sometimes it's just luck of the draw where, what seats you get. Okay. Well, that's going to wrap up our SummerSlam review. I want to thank everyone for their super chats as well as feedback up at forum.postwrestling.com. And everyone who has uh, checked out our work over the weekend, we did put up a road trip podcast for members at postwrestlingcafe.com and video.postwrestling.com that you can check out. Also, uh, we have interviews up at the post YouTube channel uh, with Ricochet, Shayna Baszler, and we did several others that will be coming out in the days and weeks to come. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Best way is to go subscribe on YouTube, and then you will always uh, be up to date on the videos that we are putting out up on the post wrestling YouTube. We are live Monday and Wednesday on the YouTube channel after raw, after dynamite and for cafe members live after SmackDown each Friday night. So it's been a fun trip to Detroit. Way and I are on our way home um, because our families need us. So that, that is going to be our uh, our trek 
out of a uh, beautiful Detroit and back to Canada. So way, thank you as always uh, for, for managing to keep the technology all in place. And uh, I, I just go where you tell me. So thank you as always. And thank you, John. And uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow or good Monday, night. I should say. Yeah. Good night. Good morning. Goodbye.